What manner of man are you that can summon up fire without flint or tinder? I am an enchanter. By what name are you known? There are some who call me... Tim? Hey, Cassettes, and welcome back to another episode of the Black Case Diaries! You know, we, we recently started doing this thing where we all cheer after we say <laughs> our name. Yeah, who's going who's gonna to listen to a, a podcast without cheering at the beginning? <laughs> Probably a lot of people. No, not a one. <laughs> anyway. I'm Marcy, and I'm with... Robin. And Adam. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And today we're going to talk about a very famous and influential group of comedians. The impact that they had is still felt today by those like Lorne Michaels of SNL, which started in 1975, and even movies such as the recent Jojo Rabbit, where the director, Taika, said he feels that when he had the Gestapo salute with Hell Hitler to each and every person in the room, it is something that this troupe would do. And we are talking, of course, about the Pythons and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So, <laughs> and what you were talking about with Jojo Rabbit. So, mm-hmm. there, Adam, I don't think you've seen Jojo Rabbit. Nope. There's a scene in the movie where the Gestapo come, mm-hmm. and it's a very, obviously very serious topic. Right. Very yeah. intense moment. Yeah. They made it very silly. They, you know, they would do this thing. Actually, it was all throughout the movie, I think. Yeah. Where every time they saw each other, they would... They would hile each other, and uh, it's six or seven men coming into the room, and they and little Jojo has to say it to every single man that comes into the room, and yeah, so and it it is very similar Amazing. to yeah they did you know there are lots of gags in that scene even though it is something you know mm-hmm. for example they have one of the actors they have he had Stephen Merchant in that scene stand on a box yes. So that he would be comically taller than everybody else, even though Stephen Merchant is already, is already a giant, very tall. Yeah. So you know stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they, they're obviously everybody's still very influenced by this group of comedians and the yeah. the amazing things that they did and the way that they changed comedy, especially British comedy. Yeah, we hear references to them all the time. You know, whether it's from. Holy Grail, or just from any of their numerous movies or sketches, I hear it all the time. Yeah, it's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) You can't. It's one of those things. It's it's deep in our pop culture now. So you'll go through your day, and you might even if you don't not familiar with Monty Python, you might have heard the references to them and not even realize it. Right. Yeah. All right, so although the Pythons had many influences, one of the greatest was that of an old radio show called The Goon Show. It starred Spike Milligan, Peter Sellers, and Henry and Harry Saccombe. It changed British comedy. It was unlike any other show because it was very ridiculous and silly. As thegoonshow.net says, they burst onto the radio with surreal storylines, absurd logic, Puns, catchphrases, and groundbreaking sound effects. They ridiculed the pomposity of those in authority and laughed at the stupidity of mankind. Yeah. That sounds so good. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> Gonna have to go back and listen to some Seriously, of those. not only that, but The Goon Show is <laughs> such a good name. 
<laughs> I, I would 100% listen to something called The Goon Show if it came on the radio. <laughs> All right. So the Pythons, their names. We have John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, Eric Idle, Graham Chapman, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin. All right. Yeah. And so to not confuse the two Terrys, one's going to be Jones and one's going to be Gilliam. Got so, it. <laughs> there nice. you go. Nice. We're going to take care of that early. Exactly. You know? <laughs> Got to keep them straight, you know? Mm-hmm. So Cleese and Graham had been working together for a while, and they enjoyed watching this kid's show called Do Not Adjust Your Set. And that show had Idol, Jones, Palin, and Gilliam in it. So Cleese and Graham decided to approach them to do a show together because they thought that their humor matched really well. Yeah. So they all thought that that was a great idea, and they approached the British TV producer Michael Mills. None of them actually knew what they were going to do, just that they were going to have a humorous show. So their pitch to Michael Mills wasn't really a pitch. <laughs> it was kind of an unpitch. And But Michael Mills at the time trusted his gut, and he was like, fine, go make 13 episodes. I don't have any idea what you're going to do, but go do it. <laughs> Go come up with it, and that's what they did. They came up with it. That's awesome. (laughs) Like, props to him for going with his gut, but, like, I'm sure the the unpitch to to him was hilarious. I'm sure it was very much like the show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very very ridiculous. That would have been a good sketch to do, (laughs) you know, a sketch about pitching a sketch show or something like that. So this 1969 show would become known as Monty Python's Flying Circus. It was the beginning of the Pythons, and it would have 45 episodes over four seasons. The name took a while to come up with. It was the result of a prolonged brainstorming. The BBC seemed to like Flying Circus, and in all their memos called it The Circus. Finally, however, they did need a concrete name for the show, and so Michael Mills told them to call it Something Flying Circus. So Cleese and Palin were the ones who came up with the nonsense name of Monty Python. I never understood what the name was supposed to be. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it really was supposed to be nonsensical. I think they liked Python because it's very slithery. Like, you know, they can kind (laughs) of do what they want, Python. I guess, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But I I always kind of thought, since they put it at the beginning of everything, Mm -hmm. Monty Python and the blank or Mm -hmm. Monty Python's whatever, Mm-hmm. I always thought it was kind of like a director name or something mm. like that. <laughs> yeah. I knew it wasn't yeah. a person, but like that's kind of what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a production group or something mm-hmm. like that. Because you think of like M. Night Shyamalan's whatever yeah. puts his name on everything. or So that's kind of what I thought it was. Yeah. But yeah. hearing that, it's just like they just came up with it because it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's like how I, fitting. I believe one of the working titles was like John Cleese's Flying Circus. But uh, they didn't really want to attribute it just to him to because, again, person. it's yeah. a, a group. It's a troop. So they they needed a nonsensical name, and this, this right. worked perfectly. It's kind of like how the National Lampoon movies say National mm. Lampoons. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the brilliant aspect of what they came up with was that the cast was able to play many different characters without one particular person standing out above the rest. 
This was very unlike other comedies of the time where there was one star with a supporting cast. Like, yeah, like the Carol Burnett show. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, a show that yeah. just had a, po- a popular person and then everybody else was a supporting. <laughs> or like, or, or in the early 2000s, the Amanda show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. K- kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So another aspect that set it apart was that the sketches were not done to music typically the sketches lampooned issues of classicism and social mores but are more dated when it comes to topics of race and gender there was one recurring female actress carol cleveland who played the straight woman in many of their silly sketches cleveland has been referred to as the seventh python due to her frequent appearances Outside of her performances, most female characters were sexualized or ditzy. Yeah, and when we say straight woman, I know there are people who might not be familiar with that term when it comes to comedy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The straight person is the person that's very serious. Not funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, it's not funny if everybody's silly. If right. As long as there's one person mm-hmm. in, in, in the sketch. Yeah, somebody who you can, like juxtapose you know have the, see the juxtaposition of mm. the silliness against their regular or straightness yes yeah. <laughs> you know straight boring yeah yeah kind of, yeah or just somebody who's like what the heck are you doing you know mm-hmm. somebody to call out the ridiculousness so yeah 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 so like in a science experiment she's the variable that uh is the constant huh? yeah, she's the constant. <laughs> yeah she's the constant that's right exactly <laughs> Many famous aspects of the show are considered timeless and have made a mark on modern pop culture. The show was popular because it was different. It shows a disruption with authority by breaking the rules of TV at the time. It makes fun of bureaucracy, something we all still can relate to today. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Characters constantly broke the fourth wall. Sometimes a character from a previous sketch may walk into a current one and ask everyone how the show is going. <laughs> that? That's, oh, amazing. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> to totally, especially, I, I love the idea if, if these were like unplanned, right? So everyone else is doing the sketch as it's supposed to go, and then somebody just walks on. <laughs> it's like, what? What do you guys uh, think? How, how are you guys feeling about this sketch? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so good that's so funny sketches rarely ended either usually they flowed directly into another sketch or would end with an interruption from another character like the colonel he frequently dropped in to shut down a sketch for being <laughs> too silly <laughs> too silly too yeah. silly just the idea that they wrote in a character <laughs> <laughs> to stop them. To stop the sketches. It's really smart because then they don't have to write an ending. Mm-hmm. Endings are really hard, especially yeah. in comedy. Right. Knowing exactly yes. when to end something mm-hmm. so that it's still funny, is it's a challenge. And it has a lot to do with, yeah. with the success of the piece. Like, yeah. like one that we just watched recently here before we started recording, the the diner with the spam. Yes. Everything on the menu was spam, basically. Yes. And they just kept saying spam, 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 mm-hmm. spam. Over and over and over, and the colonel's just like, "Stop! That's enough. <laughs> this is he enough." Just, he just walks in and <laughs> pushes like, them out the door. Yeah, but like, how how would you end that? Right. You know the the story of the sketch is this woman wants something without spam, 
But everybody else is like, I love spam. Why do you not want the spam? Spam, spam, spam. (laughs) (laughs) The colonel's like, just, how are you going to end this? This is too silly. Too silly. Cut it. Cut it out. It's so, I love how self-aware it is, too. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're thinking of what the audience is thinking. (laughs) Because there will come a point where it's funny, but then the audience will get tired of it. Right. It's like, this is too, this is too ridiculous no more we're done <laughs> we've heard spam that's enough one too many this. times now. I, yeah and it's that's such a really smart way to do it yeah also i read that sometimes they would have a knight come in and smack somebody with rubber chicken oh just, nice just to end this that that would happen every Sweet. once in a while too so there were a lot of different sketches that everybody loved. One favorite that all the py- pythons mentioned was the fish slapping dance, which <laughs> that will definitely be included in our blog because everyone <laughs> should see this sketch. You don't have to watch it to know that it's funny. <laughs> I mean, just, yeah, the name, fish slapping You should dance. absolutely watch it, but just, yeah, it's called the fish slapping dance. What else do you need? <laughs> It's so funny. And when I was a kid, my sister was really into Veggie Tales, and oh, there was yeah. a Veggie Tales reference to that, to oh. the fish slapping. Yeah, it, it's I, smack each other with fishes. Oh the, my gosh, that's yeah, right. It yeah. was in it was in one of the movies. Yeah. I can't remember which. We're we're so awful yeah. to each other. We slap each other. We with slap fishes. each other with fishes. And I did, remember. Did they have French like yes, French they were French. Yeah, yeah, the French peas. <laughs> yeah. That was the part that we cried laughing yeah. as a kid. We thought that was so funny. Yeah. Because it is. It'll, it's always it's funny. It's always yeah. going to be funny forever. Mm-hmm. It, and when you really think about think about a fish and how flat it is and how, like, the scales will be – and it's just a satisfying sound and slap. And it just it's the perfect utensil for slapping. It really it is. is. They should make something that is basically, you know – to be more humane to the fish. Obviously. Make a thing that looks like a fish that has like mm-hmm. fish esque scales yeah. on it and it would be the perfect slapping device. <laughs> just just uh take remember those fish that you would put up on the wall that would sing? Oh my god. Oh yeah. Just the, take, the, take one of those off and <laughs> Oh yeah, shoot or those called That would hurt. <laughs> So there's also the dead parrot sketch. Yeah. Which we, oh my god. I, I think yeah. we just want to talk a little bit about some of the sketches that we really like yeah. from the show yeah. before we start talking about the movie and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So the dead parrot sketch I think is probably the most famous or at least it's one of the most famous mm-hmm. sketches from the show and if you have not seen it please watch the dead parrot sketch <laughs> just google monty python parrot sketch you'll find it yeah yes the premise of the sketch if you don't know is that a man is returning a bird he bought from the pet store because it's dead this parrot is no more it has ceased to be it's expired and gone to meet its maker this is a late parrot <laughs> Yeah. And the shopkeeper refuses to believe that, or uh, refuses to admit yeah. that the bird is dead. Yes. It's on its perch. It's <laughs> because you stapled it. <laughs> it has such beautiful plumage. Would you not agree? <laughs> oh, no. The plumage oh. does not matter. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part of that sketch is how serious. He is, you know, mm-hmm. the just the the way he talks about it is. So, yeah, <laughs> he uses the most ridiculous language. <laughs> that's that's a 
that's kind of a running thing with all of Monty Python. They're so good at being so serious mm-hmm. when delivering such ridiculous lines. They don't break. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes breaking can be very funny, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but not a lot of the time. Right. You know, as as a viewer, I prefer it if people don't break, but sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes I don't know if they're a really well-known actor or something. And yeah. I, I don't know. It makes me laugh just because in a, it, when they do break, I see them as a regular person. Yeah, there's yeah. like a moment where you see them as yeah. just mm-hmm. a human being. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they can't get past something. I my favorite is if they don't break, but they're about to. Like you mm-hmm. know, yeah, you they don't can actually see just laugh. A crack of a smile. Yeah, yeah. you know, you see you them know. try. Just they try really hard to make it. Yeah. So another one we enjoyed is the cheese shop. <laughs> we just watched that one oh recently. That's one that really builds and builds. So yeah. as you're watching it, you kind of become frustrated with the owner of the cheese shop, you know, and you kind of start to get a little annoyed. Uh, do you have any cheese? Yes. I'm going to ask you that again. <laughs> <laughs> you say no. <laughs> I love it. I love I it. I didn't know there were that many kinds of cheese, honestly. I I think a lot of them are made of. I mean, yeah, I guess that's yeah. true. And but there's still a lot in there. My favorite part, though, is says, "Well, you haven't asked me if I have Limburger yet." <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is it worth asking? Might be. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> One that I love so much. The Ministry of Silly Walks. It's I think it's another favorites. real popular one. Yeah. The the idea that there is a branch of government dedicated <laughs> to making sure that people walk very silly. And you is, can patent your walks. You yes. patent your walks and you get government grants to develop your silly walks. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's so great. He even comes in, he's like, I'm sorry I was late. My my walk has gotten rather silly lately. <laughs> So I have to walk really slow. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous and it's over the top and it's so unrealistic yet mm-hmm. put in such a realistic point of view that I love it so much. The timing is really good because you know John Cleese is walking down the street in the most ridiculous way <laughs> yeah. possible. And it's just enough time for the audience to you know realize that he's doing it. And laugh about it, and they're kind of giggling. And then he passes the sign that says, The Ministry of Silly Walks. And and that's when Perfect. people really start laughing. Because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's really, it was just really well done. Yeah. You know, it's so. Like, oh, yeah. now I get it. Yeah. yeah. It was already funny, but now I understand. <laughs> I understand. I get like, where we're at. Get yeah. You've set the scene, yep. you know, and everyone is on board, and we're all there, and we're ready. In order to save money, the BBC would often erase tapes, but thanks to Terry Gilliam for buying them from the BBC before they could be erased. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they were going to erase all the tapes that had the show on it? Yes. That's a shame. (laughs) It it is. Why would they do that? To save money. It was 90 pounds per tape. And they just, yeah, they, they, you know. Couldn't they even just put it as reruns? Just, like, just I don't burn know, it to a like, DVD. <laughs> right. Yeah, because they had that yeah. readily available. I then. think a lot. Yeah, we. I think a lot of stuff with the BBC, especially at that in that time period, because it started in 1969, 
right? The mm-hmm. TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so they needed to do a lot of things to save money. Remember how we talked about Doctor Who yeah. and yeah. the things that they did <laughs> to keep <laughs> Doctor Who going yeah. in the 1960s and just, you know, they, there were a lot of money-saving techniques done by BBC. I think, it wasn't like they had a whole lot of funding. Yeah, I think there are some... You can't really find old Top Gear episodes anymore. Mm-hmm. Like the original, original. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Not that it's very relevant. That particular show talking about cars of the day. So doesn't make sense now, but you get the idea. But it'd be cool. I mean, if you're really into cars yeah, yeah. and you're really into yeah. that time period. Yeah. <laughs> so... After three seasons of this lovely show of Monty Python's Flying Circus, Cleese called it. He was essentially getting bored, and he didn't want to continue doing the same thing forever. The BBC, therefore, continued with a season four without John Cleese, but it only had seven episodes and was just called Monty Python. It was clear that it just wasn't the same without Cleese, and so after season four, the circus ended. So he, <clears throat> I know they didn't really have one person above the rest of the cast, but he mm-hmm. was really, he became kind of a star, you know. Over time, it was he was the one that kind of showed up. People, yeah, yeah. you know, he, got, he became very popular. Yeah. He was a standout character, mm-hmm. or not character, but standout actor on the show. Mm-hmm. Right. And he, he was in a lot of the sketches that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say that. that yeah, he, he was in pretty much all the yeah. sketches and we just kind discussed. Kind of as the quote-unquote main character of the sketch. You yeah. know, had the yeah. most lines or something like that. Right, yeah. So after the Flying Circus ended, they did a movie that was supposed to be for an American audience. And so they called it Now for Something Completely Different. And it was an attempt to bring in that American audience by taking some of the sketches and skits from the first few seasons of the circus and reshooting them without a studio audience. Interesting. So it, and it wasn't really the Pythons who decided to put this together. So they didn't really have much say on how it was made. It ended up not being a very big box office hit. The estimated budget was $100,000, and the cumulative worldwide gross was only $6,979. Wow. Yeah. That's not good. No. <laughs> so British humor doesn't always translate very well to American audiences. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, especially not giving them the ability to adapt the sketches or at least have... I, I don't understand why they would take out the studio audience. Yeah. yeah. That, I, I think sometimes studio audiences... I know there's too much of it now <laughs> with <laughs> sitcoms, but I think, is, you know, especially back then, since that was... That was the way, you know? Yeah. That ever, you know, right. I guess it was a movie, so... But I, I don't know. I think the studio audience really kind of helps people, you know, oh, yeah, that's funny. I mean, that's the whole point of the studio audience. Yeah. That's why shows have them now, even when they shouldn't. Yeah. And I believe the reviews now on, like, <clears throat> IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes and everything for this movie is a lot better. It's, like, got high reviews now. Yeah. It's just that box office time, it, like, when it came out. It I, just yeah. didn't hit right. I <laughs> totally understand why Americans didn't go see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. They probably didn't really know what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially if it's called something like... 
now for something completely different. Yeah. With no yeah. context of Monty Python beforehand, you're like, uh. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to talk about the first big movie that they did. Hooray. Yay. Yay. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So the budget was fairly low to begin with, only about 150,000 pounds for the movie. They had to raise the money themselves, but they were luckily able to secure some supportive donations from pretty famous bands at the time, such as Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, and Charisma. It's funny that bands are the ones that gave them the money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's kind of interesting. I was mean, it other comedians? It no, was. It was. Yeah. I mean, these. Wherever you get it, I guess. <laughs> exactly. They had friends who had friends, I guess. Yeah. So on top of a low budget, about two weeks before filming, they were told by the Department of the Environment of Scotland that they could not use their castles for shooting because it may be inconsistent with the dignity of the fabric of the building. Uh, are you <laughs> yes, so they me? had went out and scouted out real? all these castles. <laughs> yeah, I know. They had scouted out all these castles that they wanted to use, and then two weeks before shooting, they couldn't use them. Jeez. So this meant that they had to go out and they had to find privately owned castles. They basically just found one, which was Dune Castle. And that one stands for most of the castles in the movie, which I, <laughs> as a kid, I, I kind of recognize like that looks like the same castle, but it doesn't really matter yeah. too much no, to the story. No. Yeah. Um, but then the, for the ending, thankfully, they were able to find another castle called Castle Stalker. And that ended up working in, you know, for the ending piece for the, <laughs> trying to storm that one. <laughs> But because of it being a low-budget film, it actually ended up working in their favor because then they didn't have to run around from castle to castle filming. They just had basically one location for all these castles. That's a good point. Yeah. So in the end, it all worked out. So in order for the team to get what they wanted out of it, Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones directed the film. Neither of them had any experience <laughs> in directing, and so it was a struggle and learning experience for everyone. Very Gilliam, nice. yes, exactly. Gilliam, being the one who had done all the illustrations for the TV show, was accustomed to looking closely at visuals. While Jones was a, he was really good at getting the jokes to flow well and keep things going in a timely manner. At times, however, the actors would become a bit annoyed by the two directors. Cleese gave a great example of this when he said they had hit gold with the Lancelot's scene "Message for you, sir." However, when cut was called, Gilliam said they needed more smoke for the visual. That would be annoying. You feel like you nail the scene and then somebody says, yeah, ah, we need more smoke. Again. <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> but perfecter. <laughs> but perfecter, exactly. So having two directors with different views caused some confusion, but overall it seemed to end up working out because of the balance between the visual and the whole experience was achieved. Yeah, Wow. Having two directors would be hard. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. If 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 they don't if they don't agree on absolutely everything, mm -hmm. especially with such a low budget, having to do reshoots or anything, more effects, more this, more that, mm -hmm. 
could be a nightmare. Yeah. The cast often said that one would in the morning set things up that they the way they wanted <laughs> and then they would walk away and the other would come over no. and they'd reset up everything and be like, oh, this is in the wrong spot. I want this here. I want mm-hmm. this there. And so the cast would just be completely confused as to which way they should actually do it oh. because there were two different viewpoints. And, you know... <laughs> It sounds like an absolute mess, which totally works for this movie because yeah. this movie is an absolute mess. And, and, and we it, love it for it, it. I love it so much, but yeah, I mean, it makes, it, you know, you saying that makes a lot of sense. I'm guessing the behind the scenes was pretty tough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the difficulty didn't even stop there. It started that first day when the camera broke on Slate 1 take one the camera broke on no the camera way. broke guys Aww. it's gears literally stripped and the only other camera that they had to use <laughs> it it didn't automatically sync audio with the, oh, the camera no. so <laughs> they had a lot of troubles there and the first one camera wasn't an easy fix they couldn't fix it right there it had to be taken somewhere else and um, fixed who invented the camera that didn't sync them? Because <laughs> they need to be removed. Was it, was it just a really, really old camera where it just it didn't <sighs> sync to be. audio? I guess. Is that possible? Possibly. <sighs> but wouldn't you have two of the same camera? Not if your budget's one hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Yeah, take what you can work with as much you know, as much as you can. I guess so, which talking about that lighting, lighting is always an issue with films, and the lighting was very minimal for this film. Terry Bedford, the director of photography, said that quote We had a couple of what we call redheads and a small generator that you could stick 300 yards away and cover with blankets to cut the noise. So they they didn't have a whole lot of light. They had to work with natural light a lot of the time. That's something about this movie that I think is actually really charming is all the natural light that they use. Mm -hmm. Because you watch it and uh, when I think of light in this movie, the first thing I think of is the beginning with the smoke. And uh, he's right, you going through with the coconuts. Yeah. And the, the the fog is so thick and it's so gray and yeah. you know yeah. that I mean that lighting is I mean it's perfect for that scene. Yeah. Yeah. It feels right for the location and it feels right for the time and it just mm-hmm. feels like they're outside and mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it just works. Yeah. Another another great example of this is that the cave scene when they're reading on the wall, they actually use real burning torches. Ah, nice. Yeah, to nice. get the light in there. That's yeah. cheaper. Yeah, cheaper. it's cheaper, and it gave the right effect. It's more authentic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the first script that they did, 90% of it was actually thrown out. Jeez, they restarted man. everything. Oh, my gosh. Ah. What was the 10% that they kept? I think there was, there was one scene. I can't remember what it was, but, yeah, they... Just the, the, the thing that they wanted to keep was that Arthurian legend. I was going to say, the, the the theme of it and, yeah, the coconuts. That's that's pretty much what go. they did. Maybe, so after that, they did lots of research. Maybe, maybe the part when um, when they talked to God for a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe oh, they yeah. keep that in. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> 
Possibly. So they did lots of research because they kept this movie as close to the legend as they could on certain aspects. There were probably about 13 edits and screenings before the final finished product. One of those changes was that they changed the music to a lot of library music and only kept the new written pieces for the singing portions, such as the Camelot scene. So they used, like, the free music. Yep. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) And it worked. It worked better. Because they try, they screened it with uh, the all new music, and it just it, people didn't laugh as much. They yeah, didn't, it didn't hit as well it, as they had hoped. It has this funny idea, like when you use canned music or mm-hmm. or you needle drop or whatever. <laughs> you know, when you have when you have just kind of this silly music that's obviously filler music, kind of in the background. Yeah, only to, only to be switched out later. There. In this movie, it works with the whole tone and the way things mm-hmm. are. Generally, you don't want that in any movie. But in this yeah. one, it's kind of funny, you know, <laughs> because it seems, you know, it's a mismatched piece of work. <laughs> yeah. So so you, let's talk a little bit about what the movie's about. Yeah. Just in case there's, just in case somebody Those listening that has not seen soul. it. Yes. That poor soul. Yes. <laughs> that hasn't seen it yet. Yes. So Monty Python and the Holy Grail is a movie (laughs) (laughs) and that's it that's it it's it follows king arthur as he seeks out the holy grail he uh, kind of recruits his knights of the round table throughout the movie he and then there's you know over time there's a part where they kind of break off and they each have their own little adventures so you see each each knight have their own thing going on there's uh, lots of really funny references to you know making fun of biblical texts making fun of legends in general and mm-hmm. knights and medieval times po- politics yeah monarchy monarchy yeah so just you know they make fun of pretty much everything they possibly can and i think you know the whole the whole opening scene really sets the tone for the movie like we were saying with the fog mm-hmm. and you think he's riding a horse but really someone's following him clapping two half coconuts together <laughs> to sound like he was riding a horse. Yeah, and he's just acting like he's holding reins and yeah. just kind of bouncing <laughs> along. And... That's so good. And, uh, and the best part is that other people don't think he's on a horse. People are, why are you acting like you're on a horse and clicking coconuts together? Why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're breaking that like fourth wall yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, people are, like... why, why is this? Yeah, why don't you have just a horse? Yeah. <laughs> So one of my favorite scenes is the Black Knight scene, as I'm sure everybody else remembers it. And (laughs) (laughs) so it's interesting how they they actually shot this one. The stand-in for Cleese, who played the Black Knight, was a man with one leg. So he was already able to balance with one leg and an arm behind his back. Nice. Um, the second leg that they had that they like chopped off was a it was a dummy rigged by wires, and the final piece was when they dug a hole for him when he was just like the stump. Ah, that's the torso. Yeah, nice. yeah, nice. That's great. But they were like this poor guy like was in this stump or this like hole for like four or five hours or something. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Oh, like that no. poor guy. But oh. this scene is is just brilliant. I mean, I think everybody 
has quoted it and <sighs> I loved how kid friendly this scene was. I watched yeah. this movie a lot when I was a kid and I remember the first time watching it I was kind of scared that it was going to be really bloody. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> <laughs> and then you know his sword just really basically taps the shoulder and then <laughs> and the arm is just gone yeah yeah and uh, you know and there's just like this stream this yeah. red little trickle of blood and, that just kind of squirts yeah. out it doesn't even look like ketchup i don't even know what yeah, it, it's what very liquidy use. it's very it just <laughs> like right out the side it looks like someone's back there with a little pump and they're just squeezing yeah. it and, uh, you know, it's very good. You know, it's very, mm. you know, kids can watch it and it's kind of, you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but another scene that I really think is funny, talking of like bloody scenes, this one's almost worse. <laughs> the scene with the cave and the rabbit. The rabbit. Oh, yes, the rabbit. And they, they bring out the holy hand grenade of Antioch. This is one of those moments where they were making fun of biblical texts yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, you must count to three. Not two, not five, three, you know. It's like, yeah. you know Four shalt thou not count, neither count thou two, excepting that thou then proceed to three. Five is right out. Once the number three, being the third number, be reached, then lobbest thou thy holy hand grenade of Antioch towards thy foe. And uh, I love it. Three is the number. The number is three. (laughs) And and they bring out the the book and uh, they bring out a specific psalm. Like they're like psalm such a, like they do the whole, whole route of it Mm -hmm. just to get. They brought a priest with them. (laughs) Yes. Just for this. (laughs) Because it's a holy hand. Yes. This is the idea of there being a holy hand grenade is the most ridiculous. I mean, the, the idea, the idea of there being a hand grenade at all <laughs> at this time, with it's, a little cross on the top. Yeah, it's all gold and beautiful, and it's, but it's a grenade. <laughs> so yeah, the w- what's happening is that there's this killer rabbit. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they uh, they they need to. <laughs> defeated i guess but they they first see it and they're like oh it's just a rabbit it's so cute look at it and then it you realize <laughs> that it's in it's a horrible monster rabbit because it just leaps at them and, <laughs> and it just, just eats them, eats them. <laughs> it just t- grabs them by the neck and pulls them into the cave and it's like oh my god he's got blood everywhere this little rabbit yeah and see it's like because some red gets on the this little white bunny mm-hmm. And it gets red on his fur and all this stuff. And it's very, it's like way over the top. And they're mm-hmm. like, all right, I'll, we'll, the way to defeat this rabbit is with the holy hand grenade. And- Which is why the drink of the week is called the <laughs> holy hand grenade of Antioch. Mm. Nice. And yes. Oh, so you'll get to drop hey. that little uh, grenade. So <laughs> if you look it up on our Patreon oh, website. Nice. nice. Count. You- get. It, you got it. But you have to count to three. Yeah. Yes. Three is the number. The number is three. I mean, we talked about how British humor is very dry. Yeah. But in moments like this where, again, it's so ridiculous, mm-hmm. but they're taking it so seriously in the moment <laughs> is my favorite thing. Because they're like, well, yeah, that's how the hand grenade works. I mean, it's holy. Yeah. We have to. Right. We have to, it has to be blessed and all that. <laughs> yeah. We have to do it right or it's not going to work. And it's, Exactly the way but, the book says. But we're watching it and being like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. <laughs> the... There are a lot of, I can't, I, I just keep thinking of my favorite parts of the movie. There's mm-hmm, so many. Mm-hmm. I 
God talking to them from uh-huh. the heavens, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're all like kneeling and it's like, what are you doing? Get up. Stop growling. Yeah. Yeah. I hate it when people growl. Yeah. What are you what are you doing now? I'm averting my eyes, my lord. Just look me in the face when I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah. It's always sorry this and forgive me that. Yeah. But uh real quick about God for a second. He I love how it's like a drawing from out of a really nice Bible or something, mm-hmm, yeah. but they just you know South Park it animated it. You know, yeah, where his it's mouth just, just goes up and just down, just kind of moving in pieces, and his mouth just up, 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 up. Yes, like yes. It's so so funny. I always liked when they did run away, run away. I I don't know. I just like I liked when they oh, said that. Yeah, anytime, yeah. anytime they had to run away from a situation, they yeah. shout run away. They shout run away. Yeah, not like retreat or you know yeah. something like that. So run away. I love the guards. I fart in your general direction. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you know things like that. And that that's that's a line that I use all the time. Yes. Bring out your dead. Bring it's out always your dead. always yes. one of my favorite parts Our, too. We require a shrubbery. <laughs> I love in in the bring out your dead scene when Arthur and Patsy pass by them. And the one guy's like, who are they? And the one guy's like, must be a king. And he's like, how do you know that? He's got no shit on him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. He runs runs into that man, uh, Dennis. (laughs) (laughs) I am your king. I don't remember voting for you. <laughs> yeah, just totally calls him out on everything. Yes. He's just a yeah. peasant. Yeah. Just yeah. working in the dirt. I think my favorite part really is the I if I had to think about all of them, I think my favorite part is the Brave Sir Robin song. Oh yeah. yeah. In, in the movie and that was my name is Robin, so I think I always really yeah. <laughs> liked that. But also I just I it's so funny, you know, he Robin is riding along and his minstrels are singing behind him. And they're singing about how brave he is. And they start describing these super grotesque things that could happen to him. Yeah, he's not "Mm -hmm." afraid to have his eyes gouged out. (laughs) Yeah. And his his penis split and stuff like that. And and, and you see kind of, you know, Robin starts to look askance. uh, (laughs) uh, Uh, Hold on. (laughs) Wait a minute. I never never agreed to that. (laughs) What if I... I, uh... (laughs) About Sir Robin after running away from the three-headed knight. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the minstrel just starts singing the same song, but he's like, oh, we ran away. <laughs> and I, was like, I did not. We ran away, Way away. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. No, uh <laughs> When danger reared its ugly head, he bravely turned his tail and fled. <laughs> no, you did not. I did, I did not. Uh, so um, before we go into starring, how did you guys, when did you guys watch this movie? Or do you have any... It was yeah. with you guys <laughs> yeah. where I saw it for the first time. Um, and I I believe I've only seen it once or twice since then. I remember watching it with my girlfriend's parents because um, they love that movie too. I mean, it a lot of a lot of people Classic. love it. No matter how old you are, you can still yeah. find humor in it. And, um, and I just love it. I don't know. I Like I said, I'd always had an idea of what Monty Python was. And this particular movie, I heard references to it all the time. Fart in your general direction is something that I, like I said, I used it, I used it all the time. Even though I hadn't seen the movie, so of course when I finally did see the movie, it just it was everything and more. I just remember how 
like aghast you were. We were, <laughs> we were watching it and you were so blown away yeah. by how ridiculous the movie was. Yeah, yep. And I, you just kept, what? Oh, what? You couldn't believe it. Yeah. It was really fun to watch it with you because mm-hmm. you were so because just watch it, Adam. Just keep watching. I don't know what, <laughs> <laughs> what to say. Yeah. It's gonna get greater and greater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I first saw this movie at my. I didn't really see the whole thing honestly when I first saw it. It was at my aunt and uncle's house. It, it was during like a family event. It was I don't remember if it was like Fourth of July or just like a summer get together or something, but. The, all the older group had it playing on the big TV mm. in the family room. And I walked in and I saw the scene when they're at the bridge. And oh, they're being asked. Yeah. <laughs> they're asked questions. Questions, yes. And I just very vividly remember the one guy being asked what his favorite color was. <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know, he gets... The, his favorite color wrong and gets launched Red. out. No. Hello! Hello! <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh my gosh, I, this is an amazing movie. And I was I was fairly young. I don't remember exactly how old I was. Maybe I was like 12 or something, but yeah, I, I was like, I need to watch, I need to watch that, this whole thing. That particular scene is so great because up until that point, he asks like really difficult questions you know and then finally gets to the guy who's been worrying about it the whole time <laughs> what is your favorite color <laughs> <laughs> yeah. red. uh red no yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what second guessing on your favorite color come on so oh. yeah uh, brilliant i don't know when i first saw this i have <laughs> i have no idea eons ago yeah we had it on, taped off tv and when we taped things off TV, there was usually about four movies per tape. Mm-hmm. I remember the ending was so abrupt <laughs> that I thought that it had just been taped over. Yeah. I was really confused by the ending. And I remember because it, but then no, my siblings had to say, no, no, that's it. That's the end of the movie. Because I watched it with them so many times that I just... I, I don't know. I just had, was so acquainted with it. I understood. I knew all. The, I heard all the references. My brother can sing the whole Brave Sir Robin song. He can do the whole God bit. You know, we we watched this a lot. And what's crazy was that my parents never watched it. I watched this with my siblings my whole childhood, and my parents. And I remember because a few years ago I sat down and I said, "Oh, do you guys want to watch Monty Python?" And the Holy Grail, and my parents said, "Oh yeah, we've never seen that." Well, and I, what? I mean, my, I, I said, "Well, that's just not true. You guys just don't remember." And they said, "No, we." Ne-. I said, "Dad was." Dad said, "Well, I know you guys watched it a lot, but we never watched it." Wow. And so I got oh. this wonderful experience yes. of of showing this movie to my parents for the first time. Wow. And uh, just to talk about the ending, my mother did not believe. <laughs> That, that was the ending of the movie <laughs> and it was the most satisfying it was so funny because it, it ended and it was just the silly music mm-hmm. and my mom just waited we sat through the whole cred the whole thing the black screen all the music we just sat there and waited my dad, my dad was like rita i think it's over i think i think that's the end of the movie and my mom said no no there's no way there's gotta be more there's gotta be more she just didn't believe it nope, there's gotta be more and then we, we got to the menu screen she goes that's it that's really the end of the movie i mean i feel like i ruined her night <laughs> she 
she was so upset that that was how the movie ended. And the the last thing I want to say about watching this movie as a kid was that I thought there's a character named Sir Galahad. Mm-hmm. Sir Galahad the Chaste. Yes. Yeah. There's a scene where he is he's in this. I think it's a. I don't I don't think they're nuns necessarily, but they're they're all virgin women, mm-hmm. and they all want to have sex with him. That's the bit. That's the joke. Mm-hmm. And he's he's Being Sir Galahad chased. the Chaste, so he can't he can't have sex. And uh, when I was a kid, I thought the chase just meant people chased him all the time. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the women chased after him. Yeah. That's so. what I was going to say. It still works that way. I never under, I couldn't get that scene. I didn't understand it at all. I was, yeah. I was like, I don't get it because he's run away, yeah. but it seems like he wants to stay. Yeah. And I, I he's couldn't... like, can't I have a little bit of peril? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's too yeah. perilous. <laughs> the guys came in to rescue him. <laughs> <laughs> That's sweet. So now we'll talk about starring. So all of these guys, except Terry Gilliam graduated from cambridge or oxford so basically they were all incredibly (laughs) smart but they just loved being silly yeah great (laughs) wonderful so much better (laughs) so first up we have john cleese he was as we've talked about always the most well-known because he was actually a tv star first in things like the frost report and faulty towers (laughs) A fun fact I learned about him is that his last name would have been Cheese, but his grandfather changed the last name when he became a member of the British Army in 1915. Oh. So yeah. why did he change it from Cheese? Like, he just didn't want to be called, like, Sergeant Cheese yeah, or yeah, he oh. Commander Cheese. My God. <laughs> that would have been the greatest hero of our time. Could Sergeant you- Cheese. <laughs> But then a comedian, you know, John Cheese. John I mean, Cheese would have been great. That would have been fine, yeah. name. <laughs> Oh, was his grandfather's name Chuck? I was just wondering. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> With his middle name's was, Edward or yeah, something, Chuck, right? John, Ch- Charles Edward Cheese. Yeah. <laughs> it was John Edwin Cheese. No way. It went, it went. So it was Johnny Cheese instead John- of Chuck e. Cheese. <laughs> Johnny Cheese. I guess it was. Oh my Johnny God. Cheese is a Saturday morning cartoon where he's a, where it's like t- it's you know food based cartoon. Johnny Cheese. Johnny uh, Cheese. So next we have Terry Gilliam. He was the only American of the group. He, hey. Yeah. All right. Represent. Yeah. He was, <laughs> and he was the one to do all the illustrations. After directing for Monty Python, Gilliam went on to direct films such as Time Bandits. Brazil, 12 Monkeys, and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It's a good uh, good list there. Yeah, mm-hmm. not too bad. Then we have Eric Idle. He's said to be kind of manager-like. He was not usually a writer of the jokes, so he was able to judge it and change it as needed. He was also very good with songs and was why there were musical uh, numbers in the show and movies. Yeah. I think. I mean, I definitely know he's part of the Brave Sir Robin scene. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's good that they had somebody like that. You need at least one, right? <laughs> yeah. You need like a real straight character. Yeah. In, you know, in real life to tell you when it's not going to be funny or if it's just too much. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
He was also in Nuns on the Run and Casper. Casper. Oh, oh he was in Casper. Really? Yeah. He's one of the antagonists. I don't know if you remember. Okay. He's it's working a, with, it's been quite a while. with the blonde woman, the blonde woman antagonist in yeah, Casper. Yeah. He's kind of like her stooge. Yeah. Kind of the dumb. Then we have Graham Chapman. He was known for being late all the time. <laughs> what a legacy. I know, right? <laughs> he, he was the first of the group to pass away in 1989. Aww. He played the colonel, and he was the lead in Monty Python Yay! and the Holy Grail. Uh, he played Arthur. Oh, that's too bad. Next, we have Terry Jones. He is said to care about everything and Aww. was supposedly the most likely to be wearing drag for the sketches. <laughs> Gotta be somebody. <laughs> somebody yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> he is a major history buff who has done documentaries such as Ancient Inventions and The Crusades. Wow. He was the second to pass away, actually very recently in January of this year, yeah. 2020. Man. Just last month. Yeah. He passed away. It was very sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about drag for some reason reminded me of the witch scene from the movie. I don't know oh, why. Oh, yeah. She turned me into a newt. <laughs> <laughs> I got better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next is Michael Palin. He's known for his niceness and came up with the best ideas for sketches. After being a python, he did world travel shows such as Around the World in 80 Days, Pulled a Pole, and full circle. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Eric Idle said that he, people often mistook him as Michael Palin. <laughs> and so he oh. would purposely be mean to them or do something <laughs> awful. Oh, no. Because he said he wanted to, you know, destroy <laughs> this nice vision of Michael Palin. <laughs> oh, no. I actually, I can kind of see it. I, I did, there were two, I remember there being two guys that I did think were, I would mix them up a lot, so mm-hmm. I feel like that was probably those two. Must have been, probably. Yeah. yeah. And then, finally, we ha- we also have Carol Cleveland, who we discussed a little bit before. She was kind of an honorary seventh member. Uh, she was their go-to when they themselves could not play the character, and she was not only supposed to be in a few sketches, but was very quickly recruited to work with them whenever possible because she was just so great at what she did. She also appeared in The Avengers, not the Marvel Avengers. Right. Yes, the old show. Mm-hmm. Um, the Persuaders and Are You Being Served? Yeah, The Avengers, If you know, if you're unfamiliar, was the 1960s kind of... Uh, crime fighting show <laughs> detective show i guess did they perhaps yeah. avenge people i guess so yeah <laughs> they must have so monty python and the holy grail was received very well <laughs> in fact people like elvis presley loved it wow he reportedly saw it about 45 times in the cinema and quoted it often that is great. Could you yes. imagine? Go- How did he have the time to see a 45? Because he's Elvis freaking Presley. <laughs> he was busy with like music and such. He was too busy being a hound dog. <laughs> um, <but laughs> I would love to have gone to like a concert and have him make a reference on stage and just lose it. Right, that would be so. Funny. He like comes out when he when it's his turn. He comes yeah. out cl- clacking the. Cookie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been brilliant. Uh. Also, 
when they promoted this movie, they actually pulled a full page ad and offered the first 100 people at the cinema coconuts. Nice. Right. Yeah. Dude. Nice. If I, if I were to get one of those coconuts, I'd have it like shellacked and like yeah. put it in like a glass box, you know, to make sure it never <laughs> rotted away. Yeah. It's like this is this is one of the coconuts <laughs> from Monty Monty Python. <laughs> so there you have it. All right. Well, what? Marcy, good job with all that research. What oh. a great tale you told. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I had lots of help, I feel like, well. as always. <laughs> well. Or, or at least enough. <laughs> enough help. Kidding. That's right. Oh, my gosh. That's that's our that's our motto here at the Black Case Stories. <laughs> we do Just enough. enough. Just yeah. enough. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you can find us on our website, blackcasediaries.com. We have a Patreon you can find through the website, or you can go patreon.com slash blackcasediaries. We have an Instagram at blackcasediariespodcast. We have a Twitter at blackcasediary. So you can always tweet at us. Always. Let I'll us answer. Always. Yeah. Talk to us about Monty Python. Come yeah. on. Slide into our DMs. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I'll answer those two. Well. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> If I see them. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, share the podcast with people. We would appreciate please. it. Yeah, yeah, if you could please, if you enjoyed this episode or any episode we've ever had, or you want to hear if we've got anything else you might like, subscribe, please. Mm-hmm. Wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, we, we yeah. would appreciate it. Yep. And I think this has been another case closed hooray <laughs> we cheer for Cheering ourselves we cheer for ourselves way too much <laughs> look at us we did it i mean this is so hard though <laughs> golly oh. and with that thank you yeah bye. thank you <laughs> bye goodbye I don't know. Must be a king. Why? He hasn't got shit all over him.